Amen. I am grateful tonight that my brother is here. Yesterday was a big day for their family, rightly so. Uh, Hunter and Adriana were married, and what a beautiful wedding it was. I'm just thankful that my brother is a part of our church when he's in town. Um, You know, he's family to us, but you don't realize uh, how highly thought of he is in our organization and all over the world. Uh, They want to know if I'm kin to Dr. Hughes. And I said, no, I'm kin to James Hughes, but I'm not kin to Dr. Hughes. I don't know Dr. Hughes. I know But I'm thankful that he's here, and I've asked him to bring the word of the Lord tonight. Would you clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise? Praise the Lord, everyone. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Revelations, chapter 2. I'll begin reading in verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Chapter 3 beginning in verse 14. Under the church of Laodicea write, These things saith the Amen, faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, that thou wert, if not, I would that thou wert cold or hot, so then, because thou art lukewarm and neither hot, cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thy eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. For a few moments tonight, I want to talk to you about love's replacement. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. Before I begin tonight, I would like to say a great Thank you to all of you um, that helped yesterday in my granddaughter's wedding. And several people, and I couldn't name all of them, stayed after and helped clean up. And 
the Hughes family thinks you. Uh, I will tell you that I heard a lot of comments from people that are not part of our church that said things like, boy, they really are a family. I've never seen a church that binds together like that. So I thank you for your kindness and your faithfulness. And it's just an honor to be part of the church and this family. I am greater life. I am proud to be greater life. It's not, I don't have to just say I am greater life, but I am proud to say I am greater life. Now, when I travel, they ask me if I'm his dad. <laughs> so if he has to put up with Dr. Hughes' brother, <laughs> I have to put up with, how's your son doing? How's his church doing? And I know I don't look that much older than he does, but... <laughs> It's an honor to be part of family. And I, I want to, to share with you something the Lord's been talking to me about for about three or four weeks. I would have loved to have spent a lot more time preparing for what I want to say to you tonight, but time would not permit that to happen. I have had the, I can't call it privilege, opportunity of meeting people and talking to people in life whose lives have been wrecked by events, by people, by things. And as a result of what life had done, they were having all kinds of struggles to just deal with life. One of those people was a young man I met about the age of 28. When he walked into the room where I was at, I could tell by his approach that he was blind. He was not Blind enough, he couldn't see to get there, but he was so blind he couldn't see me. He could see the objects in the room. And I, I watched him as he tried to make his way into the room, and I spoke to him as he entered the door, and he started hearing my voice, and he followed the sound of my voice, and he came, and I, I gave him the chair to sit in, and I sat down, and after spending a few moments with him, I asked him a question that I usually ask people. The question I ask is, how can I help you today? And his response caught me so off guard, I, I had a real hard time actually trying to even think about what I could say to respond to him. And what he said was, Mr. Hughes, I'm dead inside. I have no emotions. And I thought that was incredibly 
bizarre. I've heard people make statements that, that they said they didn't have these things, but they were exaggerations. When people want to prove a point, they say something so bad that, that you're shocked by what they say. But as I, the more I talked to him and the more I, I tried to help him, the more I realized he is not lying. He is dead inside. When I looked at his face, his face did not have a frown and it did not have a smile. In psychology, it's called a flat effect. There were just no expressions on his face. Throughout the entire conversation, his face never changed. I, I would say things to him that might should have produced some form of an expression, but it didn't. And so as I, I, I spent time trying to communicate with him and, and find a common ground that, that I might have an inroad into his life, he just kept saying, Mr. Hughes, you do not understand. I don't know what you're talking about. And as he told me his story, it was one of the most shocking stories I think I've ever heard in my life. I have shared it very few times since that event, over 20-something years ago. His story was he was born premature. As a result of being born before time that he should be actually delivered, he only weighed a little over two pounds. And at that time in medicine, they thought it best to put child in an environment that would help its body to sustain life and to develop. So they would put them in glass cages or glass containers and flood them with pure oxygen, not realizing the effect that pure oxygen has on the human body. Over time, pure oxygen to an infant that has not developed will cause him to go blind and deaf at a later stage in his life. He grew up alone. I, he would never tell me what his problem was, but it was so severe that by six years of age, he had had 39 surgeries to correct whatever the birth defect he was born with was. It was not visible to the eye. You couldn't look at him and see that there's some kind of horrible birth defect but it was something that was there and it was so embarrassing to his family that they decided that they could not expose him to the world so they didn't want him to have the world laugh at him or make fun of him so they kept him secluded and if the family went to the store, a babysitter was hired to come to the house and be around the child and so as the child grew, he never went on vacation. He never had a birthday party he could ever remember. When he got old enough to go to school, they allowed him to go to school, but he was taken in the morning, brought home in the evening, and isolated. As a result of a child's mind not being able to comprehend the horror of what's happening to him, the only resource that the child had 
was to turn his emotions off. I tried to tell him that God loved him and that he, he, he was in a place where he could feel the love of God. And he kept saying, but Mr. Hughes, you don't understand. I don't know what love is. I've never felt it in my life. I don't know what you're talking about. That was the most frustrating experience I've ever had in my life. For almost an hour, I tried to convince that young man that God loved him, that God cared, that God would help him to become what he had designed him to be. But he just kept saying, you don't understand. He graduated from high school. As a result of being isolated, he, he developed no social skills. So when he got out of high school, he becomes a night watchman at a factory. And all he did all night long was go from one post to another post, punching a time clock so that they knew that somebody was walking the plant 24 hours a day and sleeping a day, work at night, and on the weekends, he would be by himself. He went blind the year before I met him. And as a result, had no job, no way of making a living, and became totally dependent upon people. But yet he had no idea how to interact with people. And as a result, it got more severe and more severe to the point he didn't leave his apartment. He just stayed there all day long. Somebody in the apartment complex went to a Pentecostal church and they started seeing him occasionally and they, someone knocked on his apartment door and invited him to church and he took the invitation and he came to the church I was at and as a result was sitting here in front of me and I said to him, his name is my son's name and I said, Anthony, I, I don't know how to help you I don't know even what to say to you. I, I don't have a clue how to help you get past this, but I just have one request. Why don't you just keep coming to church? He said, well, if somebody will pick me up and bring me, I think I can do that. And so I didn't see him for almost a year. About a year later, I go back to that church, and I noticed his name on the list, and and when I, he walked in that day, I noticed something different about him. And when he walked in and he sat down, and I said, Anthony, I, I, I realize there's something different about you today, and you, you, you've got some expression. There, I've seen a little bit of a smile on your face today. Where did that come from? And he kind of grinned real big, and he said, well, I think I know what that love stuff's about. I said, well, how'd that happen, Anthony? He said, I did what you said. I just came to church. I just sat on a pew, and after a period of time, I started feeling something that I had bottled up and closed off long ago in my life, and I started feeling the love of God. He had received the Holy Ghost and they had baptized him in Jesus' name about two weeks or before I had got there because he had discovered what love was. The church at Ephesus, probably the most powerful church in the New Testament, but to come a point in its history that it 
somehow started having problems with the ability to love. When John writes and he expresses what Jesus said to him that day, the one standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, which was Jesus Christ, said, I know thy works. I know your labors. I, I see all that you do. I understand that you're very careful concerning doctrine and that you're very careful concerning your approach and what you do and, and who you let in. And, and you're not letting anything slip, but there's just one little problem. You've left your first love. The word left is apoluo. Apo is a preposition meaning way, way from. Luo is a verb meaning to loose. It literally means to break away from or to loose away from. It's the Greek word for divorce. It's to divorce yourself. It's not losing it. You didn't misplace it. You didn't fall out of it. You didn't get to the place where that, that you, you, you just abandoned it. You, you divorced. You literally took it aside and said, this is just too restrictive. This causes me too much problem. I can't handle this anymore. And you've walked away. And you've departed from your first love. As a result, here's what I require of you. Repent. And do the first works again. If you don't, I will remove your candlestick. You've heard me tell the story of standing there at the top of that Colosseum in Ephesus and the Lord asking me a question, what do I see? And I said, ruins. And his response was, I warned them. It doesn't exist anymore. But it's, 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 that's not the tragedy of Ephesus. The tragedy of Ephesus is that it started affecting Sardis, Pergamos, Smyrna, Thyatira, Philadelphia, Laodicea. What started one place started spreading other places. You see, your most powerful instinct as a human being is to survive. And when you abandon love, the only replacement that's possible is survival. And you just start surviving from day to day, from moment to moment. And you say things, but you don't understand what they did to me or you don't understand how they hurt me or you don't understand what I've gone through. And my response is, it doesn't matter the day you turn that, that switch off in your life is the day you enter a world of survival. And the first thing that shows up in that survival instinct is suspicion. When love disappears and survival shows up, then all I can do is become suspicious of you.
suspicious of your behavior, suspicious of your conversation, suspicious of your your friends and and, and who you fellowship. And, And so I start wondering about the kind of people you might be hanging around or, or who you might be associating with. And if, if I'm not careful, when love becomes irritating, and it will, what I didn't say to my granddaughter last night is that she taught me what love really was. She taught me you have to love people that don't love you back. See, they've taught me that you've got to love things that irritate you really, really bad. I don't like you. You're not my boss. You can't tell me what to do. I'm not going to be your friend no more. There's nothing lovable about any of that. So you don't love them because of what they say. You love them because of who they are. you got to quit listening at the words of people and start looking at the value of the people that's around you. If we're going to reach our world that we live in, we've got to get past their words and start looking at who they are. If I discover who I am, I better also discover who they are. They are still an unsaved child of the creator of the universe because they're his kid too. They just haven't been blood-bought yet. He is not willing that any should perish. Any. That's a big word. I don't get to choose any. I... I'm going to cause you problems. They're going to be pedophiles in heaven. There will be murderers in heaven. There will be thieves in heaven. And such were some of you, Paul said. Don't ever forget the pit you got drug out of. And when you become a child of the king, forget where you came from or what was in your background of how you got here. See, history is repeating itself. When you look at what Ephesus did, then you see Smyrna. Smyrna is the next little city up the coast. Now it is the only city that exist of those seven that were there at that time. It's just up the coast. And Smyrna had no life. When love disappears, life is the next thing that goes away. And when life goes away, you just live every day. You don't have a smile on your face. You can't have a good day. You can't laugh. You can't enjoy life. Folks, the world don't want what you have if you can't smile. They live in misery. They live in trash. And they don't want us bringing our trash with them and expect to win them if I can't have a good day. The world don't want to hear about our whining and our complaining about how bad the day's been. 
been or how bad my kids been or how bad my husband was or my wife was. They don't want to hear that junk. They want to hear there is a place you can come and you can truly find healing and redemption and that your life can change and you can become a brand new person. See, Smyrna, you're dead, Smyrna. You lost your life. When people turn love off, you'll be like Anthony and you'll say, I'm dead inside. I have no feelings. I don't know what it means to laugh. I don't know what laughter means. I, I, I don't know what, what, what it means to enjoy life. Never, I can't imagine, never a birthday party in his life. Never. He didn't have anybody he could call his friend. No friends. He wasn't isolated because he wanted to be. He was isolated because he was embarrassment to a mom and dad. And because a mom and dad was embarrassed by what took place and what he was born with, they were ashamed to take him places. Well, he was actually a nice-looking young man. But yet, because of the junk, he turned life off. And he just survived and just existed. The reason God put a church in the world is that we could become the hospital for the broken and the wounded and damaged of life. This is the place people are going to be able to come and find recovery and healing from their life. This is a place, listen to me, this is a place where you leave your water pot. Your water pot is your past. God don't need your testimony of your past. He needs a testimony of your victory. He don't need you telling people what you came from. He needs you to tell people of how victorious you are because you are his kid. The woman at the well left her water pot at the feet of Jesus. She would have never converted that city, Sychar, if she hadn't left that water pot at Jesus' feet. But that experience was so transforming that she walked back into town and everybody that wouldn't let her draw water from a well in town came out to hear this Jesus, this prophet that told me all things about my life. And when they heard him speak, they invited him to town and he spent two days there with them because they were so hungry for God. Our, our world is majoring on things that are wrecking life. When you go past Smyrna, Pergamos, you're going to find the spirit of Jezebel there. Oh, but that spirit, you find it first introduced at Ephesus. You, have, you, you hate the spirit of the Nicolaitans or Nicolaitans, however you want to say it. That's quite an interesting word. There's an Old Testament equivalent called Balaam. They're both compound words, and they mean exactly the same thing. One of them's Hebrew, one's Greek. And the Greek word 
is Nikos and Laos. And what it literally translates is to merchandise the people. You start seeing people as a, a, an object you can sell or something you can use for profit instead of seeing the value they are as a human being. And the spirit of Balaam and the Nicolaitans was you made merchandise out of the flock. You see people, as that's the product of love dying. When love is divorced, you're going to start merchandising people around you to get what you want out of life. Then there's the spirit of Jezebel that showed up as well. And that's the spirit that says it's okay to bring the world into the church. That's the spirit that says it's not a big deal to eat the meat to idols or participate at with the prostitutes at the temple. Fornication, sexual immorality, God doesn't have a problem with it. And the sad part of it is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans comes from Nicholas, who was one of the seven elders appointed in the book of Acts. When you stop loving people, then the flesh is going to become your God. And everything you do is going to be connected to this flesh and what I get out. And if it makes me feel good, if it makes me have these feelings, then it's okay. But it's not okay. Then there's Thyatira. Thou art dead. Then you have Philadelphia that has no strength. And then Laodicea that's lukewarm. All because love was divorced and survival kicked in. Oh, Laodicea become incredibly wealthy because when you merchandise people, you can profit off of it. You can have churches that produce millions of dollars. It is a sad fact in America that there are people who call themselves preachers that are worth millions, hundreds of millions of dollars that they merchandised off of people they call saints. It's about me. Thou art rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Prosperity will cause apathy. Remember what Joseph said to one of the servants of Potiphar, when all is well with me. Actually, it was the servant of the king. When all is well with thee, remember me. When everything's going well in my life, the hardest thing for me to do is to remember somebody else that might be in need. So I start seeing them as things to manipulate, to merchandise, instead of that's someone that's got value 
that's someone that's not broke. They're not damaged. They're not a piece of junk. They're, they're not a mistake. It doesn't matter how many people told them they were stupid or dumb or can't do anything right or I hate you or I wish you weren't born or I, I wish I'd never married you or, or, or you're just going to wind up in jail. It doesn't matter how many of those words you've heard. When you get to the right place where the right atmosphere is present, you'll discover none of those things are true. They're a bunch of lies. God don't make junk. God has never said, oops. There is no broken vessels and no broken people that God's created. Humans try to merchandise people and to merchandise them, they've got to make them worthless. Do you understand that in America, we are controlled by a principle called free market capitalistic society. Anybody heard that term? You know what that means? I got a product I need you to buy. Now, the odds are you're not going to buy it. You don't need it. So the only way for me to get you to buy it is to break you and make you worthless so you'll go buy it. How much junk do you have at your house you don't use? How many things have you bought because they convinced you if you buy this little glass box, you'll have a meal, you know, last year before last, the number one, number one product sold in America was an Instapot. They convinced everybody, if you get them, you don't have to work no more. Just put it all in there, plug that sucker in, put it on a timer, go off to work. When you get home, your meal's cooked. But it all tastes the same. Yeah, you just blended five flavors together, and so you're not going to have any distinct flavor because it's instant. And after about three or four times that, that, ever, that steak tastes like beans and beans taste like steak, you decide, whoa, wait a minute, I don't need that. So it winds up on the shelf, but they had to break you first to get you to buy it. Your world does not want you whole, and your world is going to do everything in its power to keep you as broken and as defective as possible so they can keep selling you things and making merchandise out of you. So if we want our lives changed, we can't divorce ourselves from what keeps us becoming the most evil thing that exists. Without love, I will become an evil person. Love will keep me from doing bad things. You see, my love for that lady sitting right there keeps me from looking at other women, opening any kind of a door of opportunity that will allow me to go somewhere I shouldn't go. She don't ever have to worry about me starting conversation with other women because she knows that's not going to happen. Why? Because I love her too much. I know where conversations lead. So I will flee. Her friends call, says Leanne home. My answer is no. She's at the store. She's got her cell phone. Okay, bye. Click. That's it. There's no conversations about how their kids are doing or how their husband's doing or how their day's gone. 
Why? Because love says, no, that's not a road you go down. See, love will cause you to do things you'd have never thought you'd have done before. When you really see the value of somebody and you start loving people and you don't go into survival mode and you don't get to this place where you just start surviving from day to day to day. When you get into survival mode, it's nearly impossible to get out. And most times it produces death. Closest thing to survival that humans know is a problem called shock. When you encounter a traumatic event, your brain can't comprehend what that event is. Your body starts going into shock. And your body, your brain realizes you're injured really bad. And your brain realizes that you might be bleeding out your leg. So your brain turns off the blood flow to that leg so it can't bleed anymore. And then it, it can't tell if the other one's broke, so it starts turning the blood off to that other leg so it can't bleed out anymore. And, and then it's the arms and the legs and then the torso. And finally, it shuts the heart down because it thinks I might not get blood. It's called shock. That's survival. That's what happens in our lives when bad things show up and, and, and events happen. Folks, you might as well get over it. Jesus prophesied you're going to be offended, so put on your big boy clothes, man up, Understand, it's going to happen every day of my life. And when I get offended, my response to the offense is going to define my outcome. I can either live or survive. Which one am I going to do? Do I want to be free and free indeed? Do I really want to be able to sing these songs we sing and really live them? The only way you're going to live anything we sing is to not ever enter into survival because the instant survival shows up. Everything else is gone. You're going to become dead inside. You're going to start dying. You'll start entertaining things that appease the flesh. Watch what happens to people when, when, they're, when they shut themselves down spiritually. They become so carnal. They start appealing to everything the flesh wants. And the flesh becomes, the, they're living in survival. Why? They quit loving. See, love's the nature of God. And when you turn it off, everything else in life is going to be turned off with it as a result. I don't care how bad people hurt you or what they did to you. You can't ever withdraw into a shell and quit loving because the instant you do, survival shows up. You want a whole life? Then you got to say, no, I'm not going down that. Did it hurt? Absolutely. Am I being oblivious to it? Absolutely not. However, I'm making the decision. There is nothing going to get my joy. There is nothing going to steal my peace. There's nothing going to steal my relationship with God. It doesn't matter how bad the day is. This is the day the Lord hath made. 
I will rejoice and be glad in. It don't matter if it's storming. It doesn't matter if there's a tornado. It doesn't matter if there's an ice storm, a snowstorm, a blizzard. This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice. I'm just going to have a good time. I'm going to worship God. I'm not going to let circumstances and conditions cause me to live a life of surviving. I'm going to truly be victorious. How? I'm going to get up every day and say, this is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm not a singer. I don't claim to have any ability. Matter of fact, I turned that off a long time ago, about the age of six, because of what humans did. They stood me up in front of the people. We were supposed to sing upstairs, and, and, and the lady leading us said, somebody's off key, and her brother said, it's James. And she said, okay, James, just move your lips. Mouth the words, just don't sing the words. And so I just shut it off. I don't want nothing to do with it. You don't get in my truck and find the music on. I have no music CDs in my car. They, they don't exist. If you get in my truck and it's on music, you know I didn't drive it. Somebody else at my house has been driving it, and they can't stand not to have music, but not me. I, I don't need it. So that's what happens when these things show up. But I can choose, say, no. See, if I have music or no music, that ain't any big deal. I like peace and quiet. Actually, it's my time of prayer because when I was in college in 1974, 1976, I was working at Bayport, Texas, lived in front of Hobby Airport. By the time I drove to work, drove to Houston Baptist University, drove back to work and drove home was two hours every day, 120 plus miles every day, back and forth. So I used it as time of prayer. I'd get in my car and turn the key on and I'd just start a prayer meeting. I'm sure everybody past me wonder what's this guy doing because they're gonna. I, I, I haven't figured out how to pray without my mouth moving. So if I'm gonna pray, it's not in my mind. They're, they're, you're gonna see me saying words, and so I get in the car. It's a good time to have a conversation with God. Why not? But well, we can let life and people steal our joy, our relationship. And we quit loving. When someone irritates me and hurts me really bad, I can turn the love off. Say, no, I don't want to ever be hurt again. That's a bad decision. Because the instant you do, then all these other things are going to start showing up. You're going to see death. You're going to see Nicolaitans. You're going to see Jezebel. You're, you're, you're just, all this other stuff's going to start showing Then there's going to get to be the point where I don't need God. I can do it by myself. And as a result, chaos happens. We're going to reach our world this year. We are. Because the end of time is very close. A generation, according to Scripture, is 70 years. He promised that we'd live three score and ten years. That is a generation. The generation that took back Jerusalem in 48 A.D., you add the 70 years to the 48, and that tells you when that generation will cease live off the scene. That's 20, 
28. Folks, we are very close to the coming of the Lord. Very close. But we can't get this attitude that we don't need people and church is a party. Church is not a party. You don't come to get a high. God don't give you a fix. God wants you to have a relationship. God wants you to be so comfortable with him, you call him dad. Hereby we cry, Abba, that's Papa. Papa, can I talk to you? Yes, son, what? what, what? He wants conversation with you. That's what he desires. But it can't happen if we've let suspicion show up and we start wondering about everybody around us. You know how you get suspicious of people? You have to become like Anthony. Somebody's got to isolate you. And when you get isolated and you don't have air, you know why you need church? You know why you need to be here in this building with these people? Because eye contact is the only thing that lets you know you can trust people. No eye contact. See, Jesus said the eye is the window of the soul. When you look at someone, there's eye contact. You know whether you can trust them or not. If they can't make eye contact with you, you know there's something wrong. They can't look in the eyes. They're hiding something. And so you, you see, it's the eye that lets you know. That's why a being together and assembling together is so incredibly important because it's what allows us to turn that defensive mechanism off and quit surviving and just start loving and hugging people. Please stand. Gracious Father, thank you today for letting us know through your word that your nature is love. It is your being. It's who you are. Because your word declares that you are love. It is everything about you. I come to your altars on a regular basis repenting of the same sin I have repented of many times before. But you don't push me away. You don't act like you don't care. You don't distance yourself. You don't turn a deaf ear. You listen patiently. And you forgive me and help me to recover and cover whatever I have has happened in my life because you love me unconditionally. And what distances you from me when I can't touch you and I can't reach you, the only thing that's going to distance me from you is when I quit being like you and I quit loving people that I should be loving. So Jesus, I pray tonight you'd step in the pulpits of some hearts tonight and preach where I can't. Would you be the preacher of a heart? You create a conscience according to your word and placed into every human in this room. And they don't have the power to turn you off. So Jesus, would you start preaching? Would you reach into our hearts? Would you reveal things that are in our heart tonight that we need to get out of our heart 
so we can reach the world that we live in today. We're not surviving. We're more than just a, a, a person who comes and sits on a pew. We have discovered what you can do in our lives, and we become you to our world. So I am who you are, Jesus. I want to manifest your love to the world that I live in. When they walk away from me, when they have encountered my life, I want them to be able to say of me that he's a man who knows how to love people. He loves them so unconditionally. Jesus, that's the hardest thing for me to do as a human is to try to love like you. But I want to spend as much time in your presence as I possibly can so that I can start taking on your nature and I can become just like you and I can love as unconditionally as you love. There's none like you today, Jesus. I worship you today, Jesus. I worship you today. If the Lord is speaking to you tonight as he brought something to your remembrance about something that's caused you a little bit of a problem. You really ought to take advantage of it tonight and, and get it out because if you don't, he will become further and further and further away from you because you're distancing yourself from him because you refuse to love. You start loving He'll get as close to you as you could possibly imagine. So would you let him speak tonight? Jesus, speak to our hearts. In the name of Jesus, touched me. I open these altars to you tonight. He's here. The joy that flows.